clay pots. Another term is clay vessels. The Bible uses the word clay, clay pot, clay vessel like 310 times. So whenever you see something that many times, you've got to pay attention. Why is it so important that they use this term all the time? Well, it was the main tool in ancient Israel around the house. Life came in these pots, whether it carried water or whatever. It was the primary tool of any household. What's interesting, out 310 times where it talks about these, the majority of time it talked about it, that you and I are clay pots. It described us as clay vessels. Formed from the dust. Formed by God's hands, the great potter. Formed for a purpose. We too serve a purpose. This is beautifully described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. As clay pots, you and I are beautifully made. We have an incredible purpose in each one of us. This thing about clay pots, though, life is hard on them. Life throws a lot of things at clay pots. And we're fragile. Good morning, everybody. That time it went a little everywhere. We'd like to welcome everybody. I know Lene welcomed you. I was glad to have all, all you all with us for our guests. And for those online, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. And we're going to go into this new sermon series called Broken Vessels. And for those online, we're glad you're with us. There are these sermon notes for your, if you're a guest with us today, there's sermon notes here on the back of this worship guide that kind of, this is a great outline of what we're going to talk about today. And you can go back and, and look at these notes and, and use that to apply in your own life. For those of you who are online, this is also attached to our Facebook Live, and it's on our website too, that you can follow right along, kind of do the fill in the blank. As fragile clay pots we often crack. Sometimes we're broken. I think you guys understand, sometimes we're shattered. And the thing about being fragile clay pots is that this doesn't happen once in our lives. It happens several times. Wherever the world throws at us, our own sin, whatever it is, there's these things that break us apart, tear us apart, fracture us. That opening video you watched it's actually a Japanese art form. It's called kintsugi. Kintsugi takes uh, a broken pots and it fixes them. This is your first note together. Kintsugi, the word actually means join with gold. And this art form, this ancient art form, they would take the broken clay vessels and they would actually use them lacquer and actual real gold dust. They would create seams and put the parts together. It takes a long time to rebuild a pot, one piece at a time. But when you see it and you saw that picture there, all the seams are gold. It's of high value when it's done. The art form itself, it it takes broken vessels and it tells us the art form is kind of neat historically. It says we need to embrace our imperfections. It's okay. 
We define beauty in our brokenness, and that's what it shows us the most. So we're in a sermon series we're starting today called Broken Vessels, Heroes of Faith. We're going to talk about how those two things kind of go together. But the reason that we're going after Broken Vessels, Heroes of Faith, is that we want to use the Bible, and we want to talk about we have a whole year in front of us, 2022, and we want to be a church where nothing is holding us back. Nothing is holding us back, and that needs each one of us. So we're working through these things, the things that hold us back, the things that break us as vessels, and how God works in those imperfections, restores us, and uses us. When I struggle with my imperfections, I want, I'd let Kara spend 20 minutes telling you all those. There's a chapter in the Bible I love going to. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you might be familiar. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the heroes of faith chapter. And the author goes and talks about all the heroes of faith, primarily from the Old Testament, and he puts them all in one chapter. But it's these heroes of faith that did this, these heroes of faith that did this, these heroes of faith that did this. And it's a very encouraging chapter to read how God works through so many and how the great things that God did only through his power in them, all in one chapter. Here's our second note together. Most heroes of faith were broken vessels. Actually, all of them were. When I read through chapter 11, not one was missed. They were all broken vessels. They all went through hard times in their lives. They all went through brokenness more than once. And yet God would always piece them back together. And he'd do amazing things through them. In that Heroes chapter, in Heroes, Hebrews chapter 11, there's a very specific verse when you're reading through there that you'll just blow by because the author wrote it to blow by it. He didn't want to talk about it, but I want to, I want to start there because it sets up, this is a verse we're going to use for four weeks. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, the author, after talking about all these heroes, he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. So he said, let me tell you more about it, but I don't have time. I wish I could tell you the stories. It actually goes on. It actually says not only these four guys, but it also talks about Daniel, Samuel, and all the prophets. But I want to talk about these four guys. I do. What more do we want to say? We're going to talk for four weeks about these four guys, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. All four of these heroes of the faith had really big brokenness. And their brokenness was all different. And their brokenness will apply to all of us because I think we'll see this broken, the same brokenness that they saw. I think we'll see it in our lifetime at least once, if not many times. And how did they, how did God work through them and how can he work through us? And what's really cool is when you read their stories, you see God piece them back together and not cheaply. He, they all have gold seams. So I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6. The book of Judges, it's early in your, in your Bible in the Old Testament. The book of Judges chapter 6, and we're going to talk about the first person on the list, Gideon, today. Gideon, one of the first people is like, what more can I say? Well, we're going to say a lot about Gideon today. What's interesting is these four people, Gideon, um, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, all of them are from the same period in the Bible. And so we're going to be in the book of Judges. They're from the time of the Judges in the Bible in the Old Testament. And so all four of them are from there, so we're going to hang a lot out, out here in Judges over the next four weeks. 
to give you kind of a setting here in this era of judges is that there's not been a king yet. Israel's still a fairly young nation. There hasn't been a king yet because God's are king. That's how God established things is like, I will rule you. And there was a theocracy. And so they didn't really have kings. But then we start seeing this cycle of Israel. See, they're surrounded by these neighbors who worship these other gods that become kind of tantalizing to them. And so you see this pattern of Israel starting to intermix and then bring their gods in and start to mix them in and they end up turning their back on the true God and you kind of see the nation just crumble and they kind of like, oops, hey, we really messed up. They get themselves back together. They do it again. They get better and then it wasn't long before all that permeates back in and they're worshiping other gods and just the cycle really starts. What's interesting here in Judges when we're dealing with Gideon is that, is that they actually had a period of pretty good time around chapter 5. They kind of got rid of those false gods, but all of a sudden, because it, it's so close, it just, every time it sinks back in, it seems like it sinks in harder. And so now they're going through a struggle. You see, because to turn your back on God, who's your king, but not have any other king leading, you can imagine how quickly a nation crumbles. And that's what was going on during Gideon's time. What's happening here is also is that we're seeing there's this group of people, uh, desert people around them, but primarily one group called the Midianites. Now, when you live in a desert, it means that there's not a lot of food, right? And so the Midianites end up really oppressing. And God says, you know what? If you're going to go worship other gods, I'm just going to let you deal with the consequences of that. And the Midianites just come in. They don't live in Israel. They invade Israel. It says like locusts. Every time crops are due, they come rushing in. They steal all their crops and they steal their animals and then they leave. They didn't do it once. They did it for seven years. So Israel now is now, during Gideon's time, is now starving. They don't have their own animals. As a matter of fact, it says they're hiding in caves and places where they can't be found because they're always worried about the Midianites coming back like locusts and messing things up. And that's where we find Gideon. In this setting, Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11, let's meet Gideon. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero! Wouldn't that be cool to hear that? Mighty hero! The Lord is with you. And look at Gideon's response. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We look at this, the angel appears and he sits under a tree. So we're, he's watching Gideon work in the wine press. And he watches him for a while before he says something. Now Gideon doesn't know he's an angel to start. He says, mighty hero. And Gideon responds with the worst non-hero statement. What's interesting here is you got to be careful not to rush past this. It says he is threshing wheat in a wine press. So normally we would zip right by that unless you've ever threshed wheat in a wine press. This is kind of important. Let me show you a picture here of, of threshing floors and wine presses. 
To your left is a threshing floor. They normally had a little bit of a rim all around the circle. They were on a hill or a rise, and you bring your wheat in, and you would put it down, and you'd let the animals trample, or you would trample it. The goal was to separate the grains from the chaff and the wheat stalk. And then you take a winnowing fork, and you would throw it, because this is a big breeze area. You would throw that, that, that pile up in the air, and the wind would take the chaff and the stuff away, and the grain would fall back down. And that's how you produced wheat. The second picture is a wine press. This is where you put all the grapes in, stomp them with your feet, create wine. It's a well. Midian is threshing wheat in a well. I don't know how hard that can actually be. I don't know how high he can throw the wheat up in the air, but it is not a great place to be. And why is he there? Because he's hiding. Your third sermon note, Gideon was filled with fear. Gideon's first response, you see the struggle he has with fear. And guys, get this right. There's a reason to fear. Okay, I'm not just picking on him. He's afraid. His first response is not a hero's response. He says, hey, mighty hero. And he says, hey, hold on a second. Here's a note from an angel. He says, sir, if God's with us, now, why is this place such a mess? Now, when have you and I said that? You know, when we get to that part where life really stinks, it's like, man, where's God? And when we say where's God, what we're really saying is that if he was here, this wouldn't be happening, so what we're saying is it's his fault. Does that make sense? By saying where is he, you're saying it's his fault. And you kind of see this vessel we see in Gideon is cracked. How weakened his vessel is because of fear. Let's go back to the story. Judges 6, starting in verse 14. The Lord gets right after. He says, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Look at Gideon's response again. The Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in all the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my own family. Are you seeing this fear? God says to this angel, he says, I see you as a mighty warrior. I'm going to work through you and rescue my people, Israel, who've been suffering for seven years. And Gideon comes right back and says, hold on a second. He goes, I, I not only am from the weakest clan, I'm, from, I'm the weakest in my family. Why me? Gideon's really struggling with fear. And we get this. I, I, I'm not trying to tear down Gideon, I'd be scared too in this environment. I think this is a tough place to be. The nation's in a, in a tough place. Gideon's watching the world around him and he's immobilized by the fear of what's going on. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, I thought there was something interesting about this New Year's Eve. I thought it was one of the weakest I've ever seen. I didn't see as much excitement about the New Year 
But I have seen a lot of memes and T-shirts, T-shirts already printed that says 2022 is just going to be like 2021. In the midst of the disease and everything going on, everybody feels that something that should have went away 12 months ago, lasted six months, is still going on two years later. And there's all these other reasons. And when people say, hey, 2021, yeah, I'm not really excited about it. It's, it's just like, or 2022 is just like 2021. That's fear talking. So let's define fear. I think this is a great definition. It's your next sermon note. This is what fear is. Fear believes God can't and won't, or can't or won't. That's what fear is. Fear believes God can or won't. Fear, let me re-summarize this. Fear says, my God is small. John Ortberg, a pastor, writer, many of you have heard of him. Uh, he says, if I wake up in the morning and, and go through the day with a small, shrunken God, there are consequences. I will live in a constant state of fear and anxiety because everything depends on me. And my mood will be governed by whatever circumstances hit me that day. If I live with a small, shrunken God, I will find it unnatural to pray when I have a need because I'm not really sure, to be honest, that God makes a difference and that prayer matters. And if I live with a small, shrunken God, I will become a slave to whatever other people think of me because I don't live in the security of a big God's acceptance of me. I know this is sounding to you the same way it sounded to me. I've lived in those fears. A question for us, for those online with us. Who's discipling you? Well, I'm saying who's discipling? Who's encouraging you? Who's feeding you information? Who's helping you grow? Pastor Wayne just stood up here and said, man, we're launching another 30-some groups to grow together as a community, be strong together, to trust God's word together. One thing I struggle with over the last 18 months is how many people are being discipled by media and news outlets. You know, if you go to any media outlet, and, I'll, and I, I will gladly put out this challenge, if you go to any major news site and everything, you will see constantly through the first major headlines that they use fearful language, they use exaggerated adjectives, they use, they predict the worst, like for example, when the Omicron virus variant came out, immediately said, without any facts, it's the worst that's ever been. Hide, put on your masks. I challenge you to go out and look at your media outlet. They use fear. Why? Because they're fueled by advertisers, and the more you click, the more you look at, the more they're paid. But also, they want to be the best. So fear is one of the biggest drivers to get you to click. And they use fear all the time. The struggle is many of us are being discipled by what we read every day. Except we're being discipled by the wrong reading. We should be discipled by this.
And along with this, there's a lot of talk right now about the last days. I get this question a lot in the last 18, 24 months. Are these the last days? I always give my same answer. We're a day closer. But I've seen generations go through really bad things. I don't know. But here's the deal. I will engage you. So this almost seems, almost seems confrontational, but let's let it roll. When people say, Brian, can I talk to you about the last days? I will know what's in a minute that their last days are not my last days. The last days they're talking about, they're scared to death about. I'm not scared about the last days. Everything this book shows is I'm really looking forward to that day when Jesus comes back. But we have work to do, ladies and gentlemen. So when you speak of last days from fear, you're missing the point because that's not what it should be written for for us. We can't wait till God consummates his final plan. All this fear that's going on, who's discipling us and stuff, makes our God really small. So let me ask this question so we all think about it. I know mine. What fear do I have today that makes me thresh wheat in a wine press? Get back to Gideon's story. Judges chapter 6, verse 16. The Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you're fighting against one man. Now imagine how it sounds to Gideon. Gideon's a farmer, not a military commander, but God's making him a military commander. The Midianite army, so, so I encourage you this week to read Judges chapter 6 through 8. It's all Gideon's story. There's so much. Now there I can say there's so much more I want to say I don't have time. But it's a great two chapters to read, three chapters to read. But let me summarize what's going on. The Midianites have formed up an army, have come. They're 135,000 strong. Gideon goes out per God's command, puts together a bunch of farmers, and makes an army of 32,000. You mathematicians with me, ratio's four to one. Not good odds. God says to Gideon, Gideon, your army's too big. He said a lot of them are afraid. Ask him who's afraid and let him go home. So Gideon goes out to his 32,000. He says, hey, who's afraid? And you can go home. 22,000 said, you don't have to ask a second time. They were gone. He's down to 10,000. Those odds are 14 to 1. God looks at Gideon and says, hey, your army is still too big. And so I, if you understand this part, share with me. I've tried to, I don't try to understand it, but God's word's always pretty cool. Just I don't think I'm going to understand everything about it. But he asked him, Gideon to look at how they drink water. He says, those who lap it up like dogs, he says, keep them on your army. And so he did. He went down to 300. Recap, Midianites, 135,000. Gideon's army, 300. The odds now are 450 to 1. And Gideon's still scared. As a matter of fact, Gideon three times tests God. And I'm not saying you should test God, but there's times you see God respond to it. It doesn't get mad. He tests him with this wool fleece, and he sets it out. And if there's dew on the grass but not dew on it in the morning, I know it's a sign that you're, you're behind everything that's going on, and God does that. And next morning, he reverses it, sets it out. If it's wet, everything, you know, 
He flips it around, and God, the second morning, shows him the same sign that only God could do. And Gideon said, okay, maybe really I can do this with 300. But he's still scared, and God says, Gideon, you're still scared. He said, do this. Go down. The Midianites are just over this hill, all 135,000. Just go over this hill in the middle of the night, get down near their tents and listen. He says, take somebody with you. Take your servant with you if you're scared. And so Gideon does. He takes his servant. He sneaks over the hills, gets down there really close to the camp. Two guards are there. You know what they're talking about? They're scared. They're scared of this guy Gideon who's coming with an army. So Gideon says, okay. He goes back, the 300 of them. Middle of the night, they surround, break into three groups of 100. They have clay pots. They have torches. They have horns. They break the clay pots. They blast the horns, and all of a sudden there's a light in the middle of the night. You know how dark it is out there? It scares the Midianites so much they end up fighting against each other and killing each other. Gideon's army never raises a sword. Your last sermon note, fear believes God can't and won't. Here's your next sermon note. Faith believes God can and will. Big faith believes God can and will. Doesn't mean I have to understand the circumstances or when he says no, I always believe he can and will. It took quite a bit of work for Gideon to work through his fear and God was patient with him, reconstructed him, built that pot back together the way it needed to be. Gideon's faith had three reasons. He was a leaky vessel. He let God put that back together in faith and it was in that vessel was not his power, it was God's and God was with him. That's the difference. The result, go all the way to chapter 8 towards the end. The result of all this, the armies, there's so many other things that God did through Gideon. That's just one big picture there. Here's the, here's the end of Gideon's story. So that is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Midian, the Midianites never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Not fear, peace we are clay pots you and I we're beautiful we're fragile fear in our life will crack break you guys know this sometimes shatter us as vessels we don't work when we're cracked and broken we don't serve our purpose. This year, 2022, many people are already looking upon this year with just fear. If we have a small God, this will be a tough year. But if we have a big God, which we do, and we have big faith for our church, watch out. It is tough out there. There are things going on that none of us have seen in our lifetime. Yeah, that's real. Gideon's fear was real. We have to make a choice. Do I live in fear or do I work through my fear? And the reason why I think 2022 is going to be amazing is because I look back on 2021. Most people will use a bad word when they explain 2021. I will use the word sucked. 2021 sucked. It was hard. It was hard as like the six months even before that. 
But I want to tell you, it was hard, but I saw God accomplish more things in this church and through our church than I've ever seen him do in the seven years I've been here. This is my seventh year already. I seen him do things last year that wouldn't have happened if he didn't, if we weren't going through what we're going through. I watched him put these together left and right. There was something special about Christmas Eve services because I saw mended families, mended marriages. I saw things that we've been working through all year. All of us have been working through all year to restore, build through the power of God. Watch him reassemble. We saw so many people reassembled. So why do I not believe 2022 can even be better? Because the church always thrives in hardship. We are a light to a world that doesn't know what to do with this fear. If we're afraid... But if we're not afraid, the world notices. And they want that same light that's within us. Our faith in God allows him to reassemble us every time fear breaks us down. And it's what's in us that makes a difference. Here's a, here's a uh, quote from a pastor, Henry, uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick, from back in the last century. He compares fear and faith. He says, fear imprisons, faith liberates. Fear paralyzes, faith empowers. Fear disheartens, we know that one. Faith encourages. Fear sickens, it does a toll on us. And faith heals. Fear makes clay pots useless. Faith makes us strong and serviceable. Our faith in God comes through Christ. God sees us through the eyes of Christ. That's how he sees us in our potential all the time. And he sees us in the power of his spirit that's in us to rebuild us and make us even stronger. He sees our potential as heroes of faith. I know some people don't like heroes, but when the Bible uses it, I'm okay with using it. I appreciate the humility. I really do. But when God says and sends an angel to you and I and says, hey, mighty hero, listen. You're a mighty hero because of what he does, not what I did. God works and rebuilds us through Jesus. He works and rebuilds us through his word. Hebrews 12. If we go to the very next chapter in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. This is one that's familiar to several of you. You've heard this one, but it, now it's in context. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses like Gideon, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, not the life of fear, let us strip off every weight like fear that slows us down. Especially the sin, we know this one, that trips us up. And let us run with endurance in 2022, the race that God has set before us. We have a whole year ahead of us, and it's going to be amazing. We do this, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. Thank you. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why is that so important? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. I'll get back to that. Because of the joy awaiting him, he knew fear. He was scared. He did not want to go to the cross, but he did because he knew the purpose and knew what lied before not only him, but all of us. And he went. Disregarding its shame, 
And now he's seated at the place of honor besides God's throne, God's throne, a place that he's invited you and me who believe in him to join him in eternity at the throne. Gideon's life is a huge witness to us. Let's look at fear first. Let's strip it off. It'll slow us down as a church. There are real things out there. But every time I have fear, I'm believing God's pretty small. Fear is a weight, but keep our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. I love this because I think it fits perfectly in us today. When God takes that seam and he pours gold into it and puts us back together, God gives us his best, which was his son. He's our gold standard. That gold is him in each of us. Because of our sin and all those other things and fears and everything, he's the one that takes those away. He's the one that mends it. He's the one that assembles it. He's the one whose life, death, and resurrection made it possible. And we weren't just put together with glue. We were put together with gold. That's how much he values us. Can I show you this kintsugi bowl? This kintsugi bowl, this is one that's reformed. <laughs> broken pieces, beautifully mended with gold, and it reminds us there's beauty in our brokenness. Cracks tell a great story of God's love and his power through Jesus. And that gold lining in you tells an amazing story. And there's many broken vessels out there that want to hear this story. Sometimes when we tell stories of Farmers who become military commanders, we think, well, there's not too many farmers here that became military commanders. So is this really, I mean, that's kind of hyped. Is it really that big of a deal? And you may not be convinced that God still works in these amazing ways. There are countless stories. Go back to Hebrews 11. I wish I had time to tell you the countless stories to hear how God moved in such huge ways in this last year. And I'm already looking forward to, well, the, the huge ways he'll work this year. I'm already looking forward to it. It will be hard. Yeah, it's worth the fight every time. Like Gideon, we have a story of three to 400 here in our church that God's working through a small band of people to change tens of thousands. But to help you believe me, I brought two people all the way from Tanzania, Africa to show you how God's doing this. Would you welcome the Help Sisters up here, Michelle and Nicole? I am not going to take away their thunder, but if those two, these two are from our church sent to the East Africa with a special task. They've been there for several years. They're home for a short period of time. They're taking off here in just a couple of weeks. They have a story to share with you how God works in such a mighty way that's going to blow your socks off, but it's not their story. It's your story. Take it away. Thanks, Pastor Brian. My name is Michelle Haupt, and my sister Nicole Haupt are, we're so excited to be here with you this morning, Westview. We have been part of this body of Christ. We have been clay pots here for more than 20 years, but about six years ago, we began working um, as an extension of Westview in Tanzania, East Africa, and we work with Wycliffe Bible translators to support translation for language communities that do not yet have the Bible, and we do want to share a story with you that uh, 
that you may not be aware of. But before we share that, I want to tell you first about something called the Jesus Film. You may have heard that referenced here. But for those who don't know about the Jesus Film, it's a two-hour movie that is put together and gives the full life of Christ. The way that movie is generally put together is once a translation project has completed the Gospel of Luke, they've put together the script for this movie. So Wycliffe and the Jesus Film work hand in hand. Westview has been partnered with the Jesus Film for a number of films, and one of those happens to be the Bende language of Tanzania. And that's, that's kind of where we want to pick up our, our story today. We're excited to tell you that that film actually was completed in 2021, so that's an exciting news. That's exciting all by itself, and we got to be a part of that. But the way God put together the story is kind of amazing. So back up a few years, in 2009, Nicole and I were still living here in Manhattan, coming to Westview on a regular basis, and we were beginning to explore a little bit because we kind of thought God was moving in our heart maybe to do something a little bit different. We attended an event to explore Wycliffe, and I walked away from that event with a couple of things. First off, I was certain God was not leading me in the direction to work with Wycliffe Bible translators. The second thing is I walked away with a bracelet, a little prayer bracelet, um, to pray for language communities that did not yet have the Bible. On this bracelet is the name Bende. So I was asked to pray for the Bende. Now, I'm certain that I did. As I came back to Manhattan to begin to go back to work and, and just continue my normal life, I know I prayed for the Bende, but I know pretty quickly this bracelet made it to the back of my dresser. And, and in fact, I know that it hung on the corner of my dresser on my mirror for a lot of years. We'll step forward a few years to 2012. On the other side of the world, the Bible Translation Project began for the Bende. The following year, 2013, Nicole and I did, in fact, begin an application process with Wycliffe. Two years later, we went for some training classes, and we met someone named John. John was preparing to be a linguist, and he was getting ready to go and serve in Tanzania. And we were paired up on a, on a project to work together, and he was getting ready to go and work with the Bende. Now, the whole time during this project, and we were putting, on, putting this, this whole project together, I kept thinking, Bende, Bende. Bende. I've heard of this group. I can't remember how I've heard of this group. Well, by the end of the time in our class, I got to thinking, is that the bracelet? Is that the bracelet that I had? So as we came back to Kansas and got ready to leave, I was digging through some boxes looking to see if, in fact, that was it. And sure enough, it was. And it, it was the Bende people. And so I told Nicole and I told John and we shared that story. And we were really excited. Gosh, how God was putting details together to kind of just confirm Tanzania was the direction we should be heading. Well, the following year, 2016, we began our work, and as you do, you get wrapped up in what you're doing, and our focus was not with the Bende language. We were working with other languages, but we heard updates from time to time about different languages throughout the country and prayed for the Bende. One update we heard in 2019, so stepping forward a few years later, we heard an update that one of the translators had died, and that's a huge blow to a translation project, so we were praying not only for the families and things, but for, you know, God to be at work, to continue the work that he had begun. And later that year, we had heard that the Bende were in our town. Um, Jesus Film representatives were there in our town, and we helped them put together a workshop for a number of languages that had finished the Gospel of Luke and were putting together the script for the Jesus Film. So certainly we were praying again for the Bende. And later that month, November of 19, got a message from Pastor Brian. Saying, hey, just checking in with you guys, wanted to find a time we can talk. And we wanted to ask, are you guys at all working with the Bende people? Because Westview's come behind a Jesus film for the Bende. We were like, what? 
you're kidding. Wow. And so I reminded him of my story, and I was like, my word, gosh, God, you're, you're amazing putting all these details together. And so I, you know, I did pray. In fact, as I think back, that when I heard about the translator that passed away, God kind of prompted my heart and said, are you really praying for the Bende? And so starting in July of that year, I started writing the Bende at the top of my planner each week, and sometimes daily, but certainly weekly, I was praying for the Bende. Moved to 2020, obviously lots of things happened then, lots of things were delayed. But at the end of 2020, as, as we had come back, we had to be here in, in the U.S. for a time, we were preparing to go back. The folks in Jesus Film reached out and said, hey, you guys are getting ready to go back. Our teams are still grounded. Would you be willing to get trained to help with the Jesus Films for the office there that you're working in? So, you know, there's a couple languages, and we were like, wow, that's, that's out of what, that's not what we do, but yeah, we're willing, we'll come. And so a year ago, we went to get trained. And then we went back and got to help with the two Jesus films connected to our office. And then the following month, we got an, an email. We've got a couple other languages. And we're wondering, would you be willing to help with the Pimbwe and the Bende? Sure. Yeah, we would. Only God could put those kind of details together. Only God can bring all of those things together. So Westview, you came behind the Bende project, but you also came behind the Alagua and the Mbugwe, and the Pembwe Project. So this is a big thing that God is doing through you. And not only that, the Bende, our friend John went to work with the Bende in, in a number of languages that are close to that. As he discovered and worked with the Tongwe people, the Tongwe people speak the Bende language. They thought Tongwe was a whole other language, but in fact, it's a dialect of Bende. So you, became, you came behind the Jesus film for the Bende and the Tongwe. And if you were to look it up on the Jesus Film website, that's what it says, the Bende Tongwe Project. And what did God ask me to do? He asked me to pray. He only asked me to pray. So there's things that God has put before all of us. But Westview, take a look and see what you have been a part of. So you're going to first see some pictures that are going to show up here just as we move in to set up a fancy recording studio. It's amazing what can happen with a few mattresses. But it creates a good soundproof space. Um, the next picture you're going to see is actually Michelle. On the first day of recording, she had a chance to sit with the translators and, and begin the recording process with the 20-some voice actors that we had to, to dub the voice parts for the Jesus film. Um, we weren't the lead recordist, but we had a chance to help. So the next picture you're going to see is actually one of the translators standing behind his daughter because she was one of the voice actors. And so he was prompting her and, and helping her with her part. And then the final slide you're going to see is just a group of the voice actors, and they were excited to be able to have this in their language that people were going to be able to hear about Christ. And so you're going to see the finished product here, just a little portion of a video from the Jesus film. So that portion that you saw was a woman coming up to Jesus in the crowd saying, blessed is the mother who gave you birth. And he said, even more blessed is the one who hears the word of God and puts it into practice. So Westview, thank you for your faithfulness to hear the word of God and put it into practice. Thank you for your support of us and of the Jesus film and your fearlessness to go with us in this because we couldn't do this without you. We couldn't do it without your prayers and your encouragement 
we're just, as Michelle said, we're an extension of Westview. We just live a little bit further away. But we couldn't be there without, without you being there with us. And just as you saw here, in addition to what Michelle said, you, you were a part of the Bende film. You were a part of the Awagwa, the Mbugwe, the Pimbwe. The, the films that we were able to be a part of was because you, you sent us to, to help. We didn't even know what God was doing. So we ask that you would continue to pray for us because it's easy for fear to slip in. But we know as we can look at things like this and certainly the heroes of the faith, we know that God is in control of the plans even with, when we can't see the details. So we ask that you would pray for us as we go back um, in just a couple of weeks. And we're here after the service if you have any questions. And we also have prayer cards just as a reminder to be praying with us. And we just want to say thank you. Keep that on for just a second. I want to make sure they hear, just so we can kind of compare Gideon's story. Gideon's story is about 300, which is three to 400 is about our church attendance on Sunday. Impacting, add up all those people groups, how many people are we talking about reaching with the good news of Jesus? The Bende? It, well, you, these are the numbers that you know. Go ahead, Bethany. So Bende is 41,000. Tongue is 38,000. Mbugwe Bugwe is probably between 40 and 50,000. The Awagwa, I would guess 20 to 30,000. And the Pimbwe, I would guess, are, are much like the Bende in terms of where they are located, probably between 30 and 40,000. I would have to double check on that one, but just a few. 300 impacting nations and people, yeah. I think over on the Jesus Film Project over the last uh, maybe 10 years, we have um, funded well over 14 different translations at this time, private donors, all you guys giving, and, and some of those are still being produced, so are still being recorded, still the language is being defined, but we're talking literally hundreds of thousands of people because we're faithful. It's not us, it's who's in us. But this is time for offering, so I'm going to ask you something today is, is an offering, we, this is an offering as we're sending two of ours back into the field. God is working with them in mighty ways. This story, you couldn't believe these stories happen here every day because you're faithful and you allow him to piece you together and allow him to make you an amazing vessel bonded by the gold of Jesus. So leave your fears here today. If you need help with your fears, let us help you. That's what we're here for, to work these because 2022 is going to be our best year yet. Always is. Is it tough? You bet. But there are offering. Travel's hard right now because of COVID. <laughs> so we're just praying they get back and feel visa struggles. They're still having struggles with visas. They have to keep coming in and out of country trying to get a long-term visa. So we want to pray for all that, and we want to pray for you that we can leave fear. When you leave today, you can drop off your tithes and offerings in these boxes when you go. And those of you who are guests, we'd love to have that connect card filled out on the bottom of your worship guide so we can connect with you. But everything you give today, your fear, giving it back, moves the church. Your financial gifts, not only moves here, it moves all the way in East Africa. We're praying. We're giving a heck of an offering today. You ready? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we hold these two up to you. They're an offering of our church coming back to your place in the field. Father, I just remember all the years, like, I don't even know what we're doing here sometimes to the, just the hard work of figuring out their niche. And now, Father, you've shown them miraculous things and connected it back to us. And just you move like that all the time. So our offering is them to you, safe travel, no fear, and God's word just taking off and the story of Jesus Christ taking off throughout uh, sub-Saharan Africa. 
Father, our other offering is our fear here today, that our fear is given to you. Please replace it with faith, using Jesus as our gold standard. See us together so we can have an amazing 2022 together. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Give these guys one more round of applause, please.